0: Welcome to another Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. Joining me today is Simon Hall, who's Senior Manager for Tropical Forests and Agriculture with National Wildlife Federation. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. Thanks, it's a
1: pleasure to be here.
0: So we're going to be talking a bit about and reflecting on conversations that we had at Innovation Forum's recent Future of Food conference, and in particular, thinking about how to overcome the final barriers to deforestation in terms of getting towards deforestation-free supply chains. So, Simon, to get us started, then, how are you seeing corporate approaches to deforestation risks developing? There has been this
1: this evolution, I think, from what we've seen. The biggest change that I would reflect on is there's a more thoughtful like, approach to how corporates are starting to manage risks. And before, there was kind of this very reactive bombshell report would come out. There would be sort of this all hands on deck scramble, fire drill to kind of put out the the problem. And I think now. There's more of a thoughtful process to be more proactive. How can we really plan a supplier engagement program? How can we roll this out in a more effective way across both within the supply chain, but also within the company itself? So how do we activate other business units to get on board and help support with this? I think that has been a positive shift in terms of how companies are trying to manage risks And I think more and more, especially when we think about Scope 1, Scope 2, Scope 3 kind of emissions, you're also seeing this shift towards the Scope 3, towards the supply chain side of things. And I think that's also a positive development.
0: Yeah, it does feel like kind of a much more kind of mature approach to this and also coincides with a less of a silos approach, not sort of this is a problem that sits over there. This is a problem that actually sits across the business. And that's certainly something we've been seeing as well, that a kind of a much broader approach seems to be more of the norm. With that in mind, then, where do the barriers remain in getting to zero deforestation?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few. There's sort of these been, these different camps have sort of emerged around this. So there's the zero deforestation. And that, you know, implies zero gross deforestation, conversion, deforestation free, all of those types of activities. And then there's the other side of things, which is about addressing legality and zero legal deforestation. And I think to a certain degree, those two worlds, if you will, have sort of pulled apart a bit and created this division, which I think is rather unhelpful. One of the barriers that is being worked on, and I think there has been progress, but still more work to be done, is to build these bridges back. There's a lot of common ground between efforts to achieve legality and efforts to achieve deforestation-free supply chains, and building those bridges back in a solid way to make sure that all segments of the value chain can be included in this, producers and to consumers. And I think that that's one thing that's really important. I think the other one is really around incentives and actual monetary, meaningful monetary incentives that can help unlock the challenges that exist to achieve the types of production, sourcing practices that the deforestation agenda is looking to achieve.
0: What do the right sort of incentives look like then? Yeah, I think it's a wide variety of things. I think
1: there are both the types of incentives that can flow through the supply chain, like preferential sourcing, those types of things. And then there's also other types of more traditional, like payments for ecosystem services and and those types of things. More and more, we're starting to see sort of these innovative financial mechanisms, green bonds, blended finance approaches. You need an all of the above approach to sort of pool everything together We're starting to see that sort of materialize in a more meaningful way now, but obviously there's still quite a bit to do to really get that delivered on the ground. And not just available, but available in a way that is attractive and easy to access and can be deployed in an effective way.
0: How do you characterize what a comprehensive approach to establishing material risks in the supply chain looks like?
1: As I mentioned previously, the approach, the classic kind of approach was very reactionary. So big bombshell report, fire drill, all hands on deck, and a policy emerges, but there's very little understanding about how that policy will be operationalized in an effective way. It wasn't always done in the most sort of thoughtful, strategic way. Now I think we're seeing a much different approach to that. And I think it starts with mapping and monitoring. So so trying to understand what's happening, how close can we get to understanding what's happening at the units of production that are a part of our value chain? And then there comes the traceability component. Well, okay, so we we have a sense of what's happening on these units of production. How do we connect the dots through the supply chain? Where are their indirect suppliers, their direct suppliers? How does sort of this product flow across regions and across actors? Then we're starting to see a focus on reporting. How can companies better provide information up and down the value chain of, of what's happening? How targets are being met? And things of that nature and then the final layer is really around the verification which is trying to provide additional trust and credibility into the work that's actually happening and to provide transparency around that as well and i think that that's really important for a lot of actors in the supply chain all the way down to consumers people want to feel good about what they're buying right and they want to trust it and so having this verification process in place really helps with that
0: What's the sort of piece of play then in terms of how the businesses and organizations are moving to this sort of approach? Is it, is it kind of been a fairly rapid transformation?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's very rapid. It is happening in different areas. The initial sort of reactionary response did happen rather quickly. Problem, policy. But then, you know, how do you implement that policy? And that's where the real hard work happens. And so that process does take more time to really make sure that there can be a measurable impact on the ground. Some of these things are also limited to a certain degree by the availability of data, the availability of tools and information. And so for a lot of actors, there is a willingness and even an eagerness to move faster, but they're often kind of hamstrung by patchy data sets or the lack of access or availability of information. And that's one of the real big things that we see around traceability right now. There are sort of these really important data sets and information systems that already exist, that are already in use, but being able to tap into them in a, you know, an effective sort of smart and safe way is still an issue. And I think that that's sort of holding back a lot of progress. If we're able to overcome some of those challenges, we'll see things really accelerate.
0: It seems to me that one of the barriers in the past has been a sort of failure of public policy to really get to grips with what's necessary, as well as what you just said. And companies and businesses were focusing on what was required in a better way. Do you think there was a failure of public policy in the past? Well, public policy is critically important,
1: for sure. It's kind of a yes and no answer, I guess. I think in some ways public policy helps establish I guess what I would characterize as a sort of minimum threshold of acceptable behavior. Don't go below that bar and if you do you're breaking the law. But I don't think public policy has ever really been designed to to foster continuous improvement and really a high level of sustainability. It sets the bar and makes sure that companies and different actors aren't going below that bar. And so that's the in the carrot and stick sort of analogy, that's the stick. You know, if you break the law, you go below the bar, you face the consequences of the stick. So on a certain way, that bar has been established, but then there's always always been sort of these issues with enforcement and sort of the the delivery on what those public policies sort of initially promised. But they never really intended to drive to the top. They just kind of wanted to set that baseline, if you will. A lot of times we see companies and actors get nestled in this very sort of comfortable zone, hovering just above that threshold. More and more companies are starting to see the benefits of differentiating themselves and sort of moving up the ladder and striving to a a higher standard that's where some of this private sector innovation has helped pull up the bar a little bit, or at least put pressure on raising that bar. That's where the zero deforestation initiatives have come in, recognizing that the public policy foundation is good, but there's a gap. It's not doing everything that the market needs. And so we're coming in, we have our own market expectations, our own spec sheets that, that our customers and our consumers are expecting. And so how can we help improve that situation together? And I think now we're starting to see public policy catch up and start to add a little bit more on the carrot side or the incentives. And we're seeing that with new PES schemes, payments for ecosystem services, and new opportunities to plug into some incentives there.
0: There certainly have been lots of initiatives flying around, haven't there? And then public policy, perhaps, and the change in public policy may be driving some of them. For you, what characterizes the initiatives that make a difference in, in this respect? Yeah, we're involved in a lot of different initiatives, a lot of multi-stakeholder groups. What makes them
1: effective is when you really have a diverse range of stakeholders, which sounds like the cliche, we got to get everybody to the table, but it is really true. If you have a missing piece of the puzzle, you just don't have a complete puzzle. And it's just as simple as that. So you really need the producers, you need the associations, you need the government, you need finance, the corporates, the processors, the manufacturers, the brands, the finance, you really need everybody. You don't just need... People showing up to sort of put their logo and say, hey, I'm here. We need people really sort of contributing in a meaningful way, making good faith efforts to really drive towards the common goals that are a part of these initiatives. When we're able to achieve that kind of combination, we really create the conditions that make it possible to really move the needle in a positive way. Those are some of the ingredients that we look for and help try to foster at some of these initiatives and multi-stakeholder groups.
0: Are there any, any initiatives you'd want to pick out?
1: I think there's, you know, a lot of the commodity roundtables have been really important in terms of bringing people together, breaking down some of the barriers, the preconceived notions of what one side may think and what another side may think. And it's not easy work. It takes time to really show up and listen. But I think that that's happening all over the world in a lot of these different forums. And more and more, we're starting to see a willingness to to lean in and to listen and to understand and to try to find a pragmatic way to solve these really really complex uh, challenging problems.
0: What do you think is coming next? How do you think things will progress over the coming 12 months and beyond? I mean what what do you think is going to happen?
1: I think we will start to see some really influential public policy start to emerge in Europe. Other countries will look to that and want to align policies and not be left behind, basically. I think you'll also start to see a lot more movement in the technology, innovation, traceability. Basically, the information kind of flows up and down the value chain. I think that there's going to be a lot of movement there with finance as well. I think there's more and more focus around ESG. There's more and more focus around financial climate disclosure reporting and other types of activities like that. And there's more and more activities around trying to pool finance together to unlock some of the challenges and deliver capital where it's needed in these value chains. And so I think those are some of the areas that I would probably be quite hopeful for in terms of some progress and movement over the sort of near to midterm.
0: Yeah, I think it's hard to underestimate the importance I think also of, of, and you mentioned Europe, but the fact the US is back inside the Paris Accord is pretty big, just in terms of driving things forward and the raft of net zero emission goals we're seeing from so many companies. I mean, every week on my podcast, we do a news roundup and I feel every week I'm announcing another set of pledges from corporates going to net zero. So I think it's a lot of positives. What are you looking forward to around COP26? I'm hopeful that it it will happen
1: if it can happen in a safe way. I also really hope that the organizers are able to find a way to make it as inclusive as possible. And I think that's a really important across the board. The COP, I participated in the past seven of them. It's an incredible convening of people from all over the world and all different backgrounds and perspectives and stakeholder groups. And it's really powerful when everybody gets together, aligned towards this sort of common vision of how do we address this critical challenge in climate change that's impacting us, our economies, societies in so many different ways. I'm just mostly looking forward to it happening if it can happen in a safe and inclusive way.
0: Sure. Well, I sincerely hope, uh, like you, that it can be made to happen. Simon Hall from National Wildlife Federation, thanks very much indeed. Thank you.